I do think we kind of clamp onto people at that age, don't we? We just like, we look for people that we want to be like, that we want to mm. emulate. And it helps us to feel seen, even though those people don't know we exist, right? And um, yeah. yeah, definitely. So yeah. And welcome to Bosom. I'm Lucy Hicks Beach, and this is a podcast where I want to find out how women, non binary, and gender non conforming people have influenced and shaped our thoughts and lives. In a world where women's contributions are often disregarded, I want to learn more about how and how much they have impacted the people we are and the society we live in. To do this, I'm talking to guests about how people of marginalised genders have influenced their lives, identities, and understandings of the world. Today, I'm talking to journalist, editor and influencer Kathy Ray, known on Instagram as That Single Mum and having worked as a journalist specialising in disability, social justice and film. Her social media content focuses on motherhood, single parenting, disability and ableism and some amazing skincare knowledge and recommendations. Hello, Kathy. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on to Bism. You're very welcome. <laughs> so I kind of got to know your work through Instagram and I'm so interested about, because you work as an editor and also as an influencer, I was wondering how, this is kind of a two-bit question, but how you kind of got into being an influencer and also how you manage that as well as being an editor. Sure. Um, I don't think I manage it that well. <laughs> <laughs> My mind's always all over the place. Um, but yeah, so I do editing um, I edit in two in two different ways. I'm I'm an editor um, for an educational publisher. That's my profession, my main job. Um, but I also do some editing and journalism on the side for various kind of niche publications and markets. And I also kind of do a bit of advising for other people in terms of their editorial work as well. And it's it's very much kind of word of mouth as and when it comes. Mm-hmm. Things land in my inbox and if I can do it, I'll do it. And if I can't, then I won't. Um, but yeah, I've been lucky to um, have a pretty consistent, steady stream of really interesting freelance opportunities in addition to my main editorial role, um, which I'm really fortunate and grateful for because it's it's really nice to edit things and to write things that aren't in my stereotypical genre of writing. Mm -hmm. And as for how I got into influencing, I started That Single Mom a couple of years ago, maybe even three years ago now, although I didn't start properly using it properly, properly until... I'd say January last year um and I started it because like I was I was all heartbroken and wanted to kind of like use it as a diary to explain how this man had wronged me and I was so sad and I was so cut up and look at me and my adorable children and how shit is this for us and then like, I started following lots of other, well, I wasn't an influencer at the time, but I started following lots of content creators, influencers, uh, people who um, spoke openly about motherhood in particular at the beginning, because that was my, that was my niche at the beginning. Um, and I kind of felt more and more empowered the more people I got to know that were just like bossing it and it gave me a bit of a reality check and I was like come on Kathy like stop being 
Amata and <laughs> like there are loads of really cool things about your situation and I also you know I didn't want to be like this is awful this is awful because there there was a lot of there is a lot of joy in, in motherhood and in, in mothering children by yourself and I wanted to show that as well so I just kind of started doing it and then quite a few disabled people started following me because obviously I'm visibly disabled as well and I have a background in disability journalism and so I know quite a bit about you know disability advocacy disability rights things like that Um, and obviously have an invested interest in those areas as well and as more and more disabled people were kind of connecting with me I thought oh I'd really actually like to write about that part of my life as well and then it just kind of once I started writing about disability in particular it blew up and um, I think this is partly the cynic in me thinks that's partly because disabled people aren't often thought of as parents because in order to think of us as parents as a non-disabled person you have to get your head around the idea that we have sex you have to get your head around the idea that we are wanted by other people um and you have to get your head around the idea that it is medically possible for us to conceive and these three ideas are stereotypically thought of by non-disabled people as not possible or too difficult for a lot of disabled people to do not all obviously um and so I found in the motherhood sphere like although I was really like enjoying connecting on on that level and connecting with other mothers and stuff I still felt like an outsider yeah I didn't feel like I was one of them Mm. and I didn't like even now I don't feel like I'm one of them and um whenever I write like a caption about motherhood it never performs as well as my captions about disability. Let's put it that way. And it's like you got you got to ask why you got to yeah. ask like because it's still me writing it, right? Mm. So it can't be the quality of the writing every time. So um, so yes, yeah, so I guess I started talking about more about disability, and then my account really lifted off. And then and then I was like, hold on, I want to do some more stuff, and um, got into skincare. And then that's when I started doing this influencing stuff. And yeah, it just it just all rollerballed. But I never had this vision or this goal of doing anything other than writing a book, which I still haven't done. Um, but yeah, never, never like it was, it was never calculated. It's just kind of flowed this way. And yeah, I'm excited to see what comes next, really. It's amazing that you have basically two careers and you also look after two children. I feel like that seems like an insanely impossible I mean, it's obviously not impossible, but I can't imagine. I spend way too much time looking at screens. Let's <laughs> way too much time. <laughs> so the premise of this podcast is that I've asked you to pick for women, non-binary or gender non-conforming people who have somehow influenced or impacted you. And they come from four categories that are a teenage icon, somebody that you know personally, somebody that you've never met and somebody who is no longer alive um how did you find thinking about this and choosing who you'd talk about I thought it was really um it was cool it was really interesting to do I found it quite easy to find to think of people um that had impacted me in those ways as well yeah it's 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 nice to to do a podcast that has like a specific kind of niche angle to it um so yeah no it's cool so we're gonna get going yeah and if that's all right with you, we're just going to go through, talk about them all and see where that takes us.
So the first person I would love to talk to you about is your childhood or teenage icon. And you have picked Avril Lavigne. Can you tell us about you, Avril Lavigne, your relationship? <laughs> My goodness. I think this will be the longest one of all of them. <laughs> we, have a long, <laughs> we have a long history together. Um yeah, I picked Avril Lavigne um, because I've been talking about her quite recently on my um, on my Instagram stories. I just like just kind of reminiscing how she impacted my life so heavily when I was a teenager. My teenagers were really really hard. Um, I didn't have any friends locally, not in school or anything like that. I felt very alienated at school, but I also felt, which is something I've only really recently realised, quite alienated in home life as well not because of my my parents are great but because I was the only person who looked like me mm-hmm. in my family yeah and because I was being constantly excluded by other girls at school I felt like I just didn't all these body changes and these hormonal changes and these mood swings and these kind of growing up aspects of being a teenager I didn't know how to navigate them because although I was experiencing the same kind of stuff I wasn't invited into those spaces all those conversations and so I kind of suppressed it a lot and felt quite angry inside and so then like I remember like for my 10th or 11th birthday my kid, my my kids my parents got Skype TV and then not long after that Avril Lavigne's complicated video came out and I watched it and I was like oh my god I feel so seen not because she was she was singing about a topic that I really knew about because boys were like a myth to me till I was like 20 they still are but um, (laughs) but because her her fearlessness and her the way that she expressed herself I I really resonated with we had a really similar we had a really similar style and she was a very similar age to me and she just seemed so edgy and cool right mm. and and so like I just kind of followed her career through her first two albums and so what happened after that was I entered a competition to win tickets to um, a concert that she had at the Mean Fiddler in London I didn't live in London I lived three and a half hours away and I won it and I told my parents, and I was like, I've got to go. I've, I've literally <laughs> got to go. <laughs> and so they drove me all the way to the Mean Fiddler, um, Tottenham Court Road in London. And I remember it was pouring rain. And I was so excited. And I was really deluded as well, because I thought I'd be able to like sit backstage. <laughs> <laughs> I only had regular tickets. <laughs> but I'd never been to a concert before. And I was just like, this is amazing. And I dressed up exactly like her in the complicated video. I wish I had pictures, but I had everything, the studied wristbands, the black cords. I had every single thing that she had on the complicated video. And like when I turned up, I was, I was like, oh, everyone else looks the same as well. Because it was fun. <laughs> full of girls who were like 13 14 who were dressed exactly like her who were super fans as well and then I got a bit of a reality check and then they put us like it was me and my sister and my sister was like oh why am I here and so we got put like upstairs behind some glass and I remember being like this through the glass like just putting my hands against it like wanting to be close to her and then afterwards I said to my sister I've got to meet her I've got to meet her come on let's go around the back or whatever you know to the side door and she was like no it's raining and it's really late and I was like please please and then I think we stayed for a tiny bit but obviously it wasn't gonna happen and then we went home and I felt devastated but my my dream was not 
shattered because uh, I um say this is a really long story. You're gonna have to cut this, but, <laughs> but um. Her drummer, so I had a bit of, I developed a bit of a weird infatuation with her drummer. That's the sign of a real fan that you know her backing band. Right, exactly. Like they weren't even like in the band with her. They were just her backing band. But but I chose carefully because I was like, I can't choose the main guitarist because he's the hot one and he's the one who's always in the interviews with her. So he'll be really popular. But I chose the drummer who's also quite hot, but is never like in the interviews and stuff, Mm -hmm. right? And I can't remember how, but I got his email address. I think I probably met him at a show or something I think I met him and then I got it and then like I would just email him and um not like excessively but I would just email him like to see what how he was doing and as is stereotypical for women I wouldn't like talk about myself ever I just wanted to know about him and how he was just write back I, I only went to a few Avril shows but the ones I went to I'd like take him t-shirts and he'd meet up with me and then he'd oh take God. the t-shirts and then he'd wear them in like I'd see them in other fan pictures <laughs> I'd be like oh, my t-shirt I touched that <laughs> it's so wild oh it's God. so wild I was like infatuated with her and with him and then I think yeah she went away for a while between her second and third albums and I kind of grew up a lot and um my music taste changed and then she brought out her third album which was very different from the rest and I thought no so I stopped but like to go back to the actual question like Avril Lavigne massively impacted me because although she's not disabled like she was a troubled teen right and she spoke about her troubles rather Mm. she wasn't a troubled teen but she spoke about it and she was very real and she she was very like no nonsense attitude which I've always had in me as well and I just I felt quite fearless when I when I dressed up like her, when I sang her songs, when I listened to her music, I felt like I could express myself. And the kind of to go back to the whole like fact that in my teens I felt like I had to bottle my feelings up all the time. When I listened to her music, I didn't do that. And so it was really addictive for me. Yeah. Something that seems to have come out in people I've spoken to and I think as well in what you've said is that when you're a teenager, there's often when kind of one is a teenager there's often some kind of barrier that means you're not quite able to express exactly how you're feeling mm-hmm. and having kind of icons whether they're pop stars or I do think we kind of clamp onto people at that age don't we we just like we look for people that we want to be like that we want to mm. emulate and it helps us to feel seen even though those people don't know we exist right and um, yeah. yeah definitely so yeah it's something about as well I think there's something really particular being a kind of a teenage girl looking up to somebody who feels a bit more grown up or a bit more kind of able to express what they and then because you're obsessed with them you are feeling Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's such a great feeling I think when you're younger and you have those like cool icons who you're obsessed with I feel like for cis men it's more um it's typically more like okay they super look up to footballers and they'll dress like them and they'll try to be like them or whatever or some kind of other sports star but it won't be about the expression of feelings it'll be about the skill or something that they possess and try to be like that because you know boys are taught from an early age that feelings are wrong (laughs) do your daughters I mean they're a lot younger than that but do they do you notice that they have people that they not yet. Not yet. Not yet. No, we'll see. 
it'd be quite fun quite fun to see that I think as a parent yeah it is I think it will be but I think it's tricky because um my children are obviously they have dwarfism as well but they're also mixed race and so it'll be interesting to see Mm. how they navigate feeling seen given that nobody in the public eye will be like them yeah do you know what I mean Mm. so um because disability is so much more a part of their lives growing up than it was mine because my entire family um is non-disabled whereas I am disabled and so it just is it's in our conversation it's in the way we act it's in you know they're constantly reminded of it so I think it might be different for them identifying whereas I was kind of like a bit deluded when I was a teenager and I was like oh yeah I'm just like her I didn't like you know I didn't connect so much on that kind of like admitting that actually no my experiences are quite different and that's because I'm disabled and I'm living in an ableist society but yeah be interesting to see how that dynamic works for them if it does affect it at all yeah I don't know this might totally not be the case but as a disabled woman who's kind of in the public in the public eye but what's the wrong phrase that sounds like you've got some scandal about you (laughs) Um, as a disabled woman who creates content for lots and lots of followers do you think of yourself as kind of role model somebody that's a younger person who is disabled would be able to look up to in that way no but I hope that anyone who is younger who sees or comes across my work on Instagram or otherwise and reads it I hope that they do feel seen for sure but I don't aspire to be anyone's role model like my life is messed up as well I, I think there's a bit of a dangerous um a dangerous insinuation that role models kind of have it all together but we don't you know but I do definitely write and say things and share experiences with the hope that people could connect with them people that have already experienced them and also people that might experience them in the future um for sure for sure but um yeah I'm not sure how I feel about being a role model yeah that's probably the wrong turn of phrase because you're right the the idea of role model Sounds like you've got this very clean moral slate. Yeah, it is and it isn't a wrong turn of phrase because it is sadly what we do to people. We idolise them. Like I idolised Avril Lavigne. I didn't care if she was like, if she did anything problematic. I just thought she was amazing, you know. Yeah. And we we idolise people on the internet. We idolise influencers. We idolise celebrities. When we idolise them so strongly, if they do something and mess up, which obviously we do because everyone's human, we're held to account much more viciously because it's like, mm. but you were you were amazing. How could you do this? Like, or you are so informed. How could you make this mistake? But it's like because I'm human. Yeah, and we all do. That's right. It's a hard balance to like. I mean, I say that like I have any influence over anybody. No, but you do. Like everyone does have an influence over people, and we all mess up all the time. And you'll have been in situations where people have been will have been taken aback that you've messed up or something because they will Mm. have thought they will have assumed beforehand that you know better Uh, but then when you add in the anonymity of the internet it can get very vicious whereas when it's person to person people might not be so vicious not so vicious um I feel like I could talk about this for hours yeah we've kind of gone off on a tangent (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we've got to move on to the next person of influence who is somebody that you, you know personally and you have chosen your is it your childhood friend Alice yeah tell us about Alice so Alice is one of my oldest friends I met her in secondary school 
and she was pretty much the only consistent friend I had in secondary school and has been one of the only consistent friends I've had full stop. Um, She was in the year below me and she is, I mean, I won't go into her private life, but she is also marginalised, but for different reasons Mm -hmm. to me. Um, And I think we probably, although we didn't identify why then, that probably brought us closer in a way. But as I've, as I've grown up with her kind of in and out of my life, because we've, we've gone through periods of like not talking for ages or living far apart from each other, which we do now, she's always been there whenever there's been, it's a bit of a running joke between us, but she's always kind of around whenever there's a massive decision for me to make in life. And she, she always kind of helps me. Um, I don't necessarily like decide whatever she's told me to decide, <laughs> but she's just always been somebody that I am, um, that I talk to about that kind of stuff because it helps me to realize what I want to do yeah, rather than what her opinion is. And she, she's a major catalyst for a lot of things that have just happened in my life. And it's, it's pretty wild, but yeah, it's, um, I've got a lot to thank her for and I've also learned a lot from her and her experiences and how I negatively contribute to the marginalization that she faces as well. Yeah, it's a it's a very powerful and intense in a weird way friendship because we just have so much so much history there that is kind of that's been life changing. Yeah. Is that something that your experience of marginalisation, even though now they're happening in different ways in different places, is that something that you consciously acknowledge together within your friendship? Or is that something that's just built in? I think we've made reference to it in recent years when we've we've both become more, I think it's fair to say we've both become more aware of what our marginalisations are and put a name to a lot of things that we were feeling but didn't know how to express or understand and I think that's work that's been done probably but almost definitely by definitely by me and I think pretty much her as well um just because of the kind of conversations that we've been having and how we've been more we've yeah we've just kind of identified things better but definitely um we have we have reflected on it in a kind of in passing ways for sure but it's not we don't have in-depth discussions about it um but we, I'm sure we will at, at some point. We don't, because she lives quite far away, we don't actually have that many discussions at the moment. Anyway. Yeah. It's, one of, it's one of those friendships that's just like goes in and out, but it's, it's always there. Mm. Like we're always there for each other. It's, I love those friendships that are like that. I think that because yeah. they're in one way, in terms of the active presence of it in your life, it's quite inconsistent, yeah. but the foundations of it are so consistent and reliable. Right, exactly. Exactly, yeah. Like, you know that person is going to be there. Mm. You need them, yeah, they'll be there. Definitely. Yeah, there's always, you'll always have different friends for different pockets of your life, won't you? I just love hearing people talk about their female friends. It's my number one topic. <laughs> We're going to move on to mm-hmm. your, the third person. You. This is somebody that you've never met. Yes. And this is Africa Brooke. Yeah, so it feels a bit weird talking about, I mean, it doesn't feel weird talking about Avril Lavigne because she'll never listen to this, but <laughs> Africa Brooke might, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, she has no idea who I am, which is fine. Um, 
yeah I've spoken about her a bit on my um, Instagram before the thing when you become like when you start to get a following on Instagram it's the end there are a lot of people messaging you being like yeah yeah you're totally right oh I feel so seen oh thank you so much for saying this like kind of every day it's that it's very difficult not to let it go to your head and I am somebody who is very easily affected by opinions, whether they're positive or negative. Mm-hmm. So the positive ones, they go to my head sometimes. And there have been many instances where I have done something on Instagram where it's been completely ego-driven and not kind of truth-driven. Not, uh, not that I've lied, but it's not been driven by for the right reasons. It's mm-hmm. not like, you know, virtuous. It's It's about feeding my own ego. And what I really love about following Africa is her opinions are, they often um, contradict mine, first of all. And I think it's so important to follow a few people whose opinions contradict yours. But also she talks a lot about how how the ego has done, does that. And that, that has made me realise that that's done that for me. Like I didn't realise before that that was my ego driving this this um machine sometimes and um and it just makes me think oh shit yeah you're right and um and sometimes she'll say things and I'll be like oh I don't agree with that and then I'll sit on it and I'll sit on it a bit more and I'll come back to it and I get it like even though I don't necessarily agree with her I get it and I just think that for me like I've done so much learning just from her expressing her opinions and doing so in a way that is so accessible and easy to understand and clearly very contemplative and she you know she thinks about things she ruminates on things and it's so obvious in the way that she presents her opinions and I think yeah I think it's just really really valuable to yeah as I said to follow people that you don't um, necessarily agree with or that challenge your perceptions of who you are even Mm so deeply because yeah. like sometimes she'll like put a status up and I'll be like fuck is that about me <laughs> like obviously it's not because she doesn't know who I am but, but it basically describes who I am and I'm like, oh god I am doing this for this reason not the other reason I've convinced myself of or whatever you know and um yeah it's it's really um it's really cool yeah to follow someone that does that for me Mm. for free which is amazing (laughs) do you think there's a difference in terms of when you follow somebody on instagram and Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily agree with their views and you can kind of take in their content and sit on it do you think there's a difference between that and then interacting with people in real life with whom you don't share the same views do you think it's a different experience or do you think that there's any parallels I get what you mean I'm just going to interject and say that online is real life too and I I try to remind myself to say online and offline because it kind of real life serves to kind of judge online relationships whereas they can actually be very very like important to our lives and impactful but um yeah to answer your question don't get me wrong I have a lot of deep and meaningful chats with people offline I do find it more difficult because you're not afforded time. Mm-hmm. Everything's very spontaneous. You have to say things on a whim. Quite often people's guards are up. And so that will play into how you present your opinion. And I am somebody that definitely struggles with a kind of juxtaposition of 
I'm a compl- I'm a very very blunt person and people are always like oh wow you're really no nonsense or whatever but that can mean that I come across as mean or harsh or dismissive when I'm not meaning to be right yeah. and but it's quite rare to find somebody that will challenge me in that arena so because when I come into the conversation people tend to shrink back yeah. if it's like a debatable topic and we're mm-hmm. having a debate or whatever and so when I meet people offline who aren't afraid to challenge me I love it but I find it hard too because I'm not used to it yeah I'm really not used to it yeah it's, it's a difficult one it's all it's all in the moment it's all about being in the moment right and um yeah as I said before when I was talking about Africa I was like I contemplate what she said and I really and I can always go back to it yeah whereas like your memory of things always distorts things and so it's not always you know and obviously as well the other thing about like following someone that doesn't even know you exist and and reading their opinions or whatever is that you know it's nothing personal yeah (laughs) so Whereas with people you're speaking to, it's clouded by that every time. It will be. Mm. It will be. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, that definitely does. Yeah, I guess one comes with confrontation and one comes without confrontation. Right. I mean, they well, they both come with it, but one comes with confronting both yourself and them, whereas the other one just comes with confronting yourself. Mm. When you phrase it like that as it's like a tool to confront yourself it's amazing that things like Instagram are free that you can have that you can have <laughs> access to this it's like a kind of self-help tool almost and an opportunity to exercise your ideas and like understand yeah. things of yourself and the world and break out of your echo chamber for free yeah and then people get annoyed when people try to monetize of it and it's just like well you've been you've yeah. done a lot of growth at my expense <laughs> you know but anyway <laughs> Um, Because you run a Patreon account, which is a kind of, it's like a paid subscription to you. Yes. How have you found doing that as well as your kind of standard Instagram content? Yeah, it's good. It's just, I treat Patreon much more like a diary. I'm much more free with what I say, because there's a level of trust there with the people who are reading it, because obviously they have to pay to read it, Mm -hmm. that they're not there to argue with me. And it's very much, also, it's not... um, like I don't present factual information there. I present my thoughts about things. Whereas on Instagram, I, I try to put facts in because I want people to be aware of certain things that are that are true for the communities I'm a part of. So yeah, like it's a very Patreon's a very supportive environment. And um sometimes when I'm super busy, I like I'll neglect it. But um but I've made a promise to myself I'll write an article like a Patreon post like, every Sunday. Um and that that works really well but yeah it's I think it is quite different I also feel a lot more free because again it's not ego driven I don't I don't give a crap if it gets zero likes because people have paid to be there so that's it's up to them whether or not they like it whereas Instagram is very ego driven but also now that I monetize from my Instagram account there's a constant internal pressure that I have to to perform well so Mm. that I can continue to monetize from it yeah so this is the last thing I want to say before we move on for like yeah. it comes into this category I'm just obsessed with your skincare stories I Ooh. I have no skincare routine at all and I have such terrible skin but I live vicariously through your Instagram stories 
of um I live vicariously through lots of other skincare people <laughs> not skincare people but people who write about skincare stories I love it I love I love watching people unbox stuff it's like my favorite thing oh yeah same I love watching people put on like just put on stuff on their face put stuff on yeah yeah it's so weird I literally just put face wash on and I really wish I had a I've tried so many times to do the skincare routine but it's just never happened but I just think I get enough from watching people people like you on your Instagram I think it's great (laughs) so thank you for that that provides a huge amount of no problem my best Instagram time so we come now to your final figure of influence and this is somebody who is no longer alive and you've chosen to speak about your grandmother who you called Betty yeah Oh, this is a sad note to end on. Uh, (laughs) And so I never thought of Betty as my grandmother because we, I just had this name Betty for her and I don't know why we all called her Betty. She didn't really like it. But um, me, my mum, my dad um, and my grandmother's husband, my granddad called her Betty. So it's weird when people, to me, it's weird when people say grandmother. Um, But yeah, she and my granddad were a big presence in my life they both died quite a long time ago um what I loved about my relationship with them was it was although they lived quite far away they lived in Essex and I lived in Norfolk when I was a child and so they lived like three hours kind of away or two hours and a half away um so we didn't see them that often but when we did um it was quite an intense relationship because I was their only grandchild Mm -hmm. and what I although I didn't I wasn't cognizant of this as a child but what I appreciate now when I look back at my relationship with them was that they were always loving towards me Mm -hmm. and if I had been alive if I had been a child at the time that they were children my fate and my future might have been a very different story because of the way disabled people would have been treated at that time Mm -hmm. and so for them to have always just like loved me and treated me I don't want to say the word normally but treated me like not treated me in a special way that I didn't want Mm -hmm. um like looking back on it it makes me think of them even more fondly and she I chose her in particular because she was around for a lot longer than my granddad was and and so I I have stronger memories of of visiting her and being with her and she was always just so at peace when I was there and again it's that thing of like when I was a teenager I didn't really have any friends or anything so just being around people that understood and accepted me was like massive Mm. even if they were in my family like because it's not always the way that your family accepts you and so I don't take that for granted that the fact that they did yeah we were just really close and I really loved them a lot I was very um very cut up when they died and what's what's really lovely is that I'm kind of seeing history repeat itself in that my parents have a very, very similar relationship with my daughters. Oh, that's so nice. Um, which is really nice. It's really, really nice. Oh, it's made me really sad. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to have brought this, this on. No, it's all good. It's all good. I chose it. I chose it. It's all good. Do you think that your parents and their relationship with your, your daughters, do you think they kind of at all consciously emulate that that relationship with your grandparents I don't think so but I think that my mum in particular like obviously she was raised by them 
and I think she just has this you know some of the same attitudes and and also like again it's a bit different because their disability is not a shock Mm. to my parents because obviously they had me (laughs) and so um it's very different so when like when I was pregnant and when I was having kids the fact when we found out that they had the same disability as me my parents were just like okay cool whatever because they're like we love them the same because yeah. they love me the same so they need they that wasn't a hurdle that they needed to get over or anything like that so so yeah it was kind of a bit different because of that but but yeah I do think I do think that my mum has a similar she gets a similar amount of joy from my children that I that I gave to my grandmother that's really really lovely yeah I thought that's just like a really beautiful note so. <laughs> <laughs> um I yeah, I thought that was a really lovely note to end on, that idea of... I think that's just an amazing way of phrasing it, in that your mum gets that joy from your daughters because your grandmother got from you, because you felt that warmth and so much love from her. But she also got that joy from you. Right, exactly. Exactly, it's reciprocal, right? And, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's lovely. Um, yeah, so I think that is just a really lovely note for us to end on. That's great. Thank you so much for having me, Lucy. I appreciate it. Thank you so, so much. This was, I loved this conversation. Um, yeah, you're so kind. <laughs> you're so kind. Spare your time. You're so kind. <laughs> you're so kind. <laughs> I loved chatting to Cathy and as well as making me want to re-listen to Avril Lavigne, it also made me rethink how I use social media. Thank you to her for making the time to chat to me. And once again, thank you to the Shilson sisters for their absolutely wonderful music and Sophie Kamlish for her lovely art. Thanks so much for listening, and if you really like it, please feel free to leave us a review. See you again soon.